Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 196, the Identity Series, I Am Redeemed. I am redeemed. I feel like we need to start singing right out the gate. <laughs> is that part of the song? By the blood of yeah. the lamb. Okay. <laughs> you guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my husband and favorite licensed therapist, Matt Krieg. Hello, everyone. Hey, Matt. So Hello. good to have you here. And Steve, we have producer Steve with us, too, who is the most professional radio voice among us. Hi, guys. <laughs> what was that pause? I don't know. I was just processing that. Maybe for the first time. <laughs> that you're the most professional? I don't know about the truth of that, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll unpack that during this, uh, the next layer in our identity series. Uh, but speaking of identity, if you guys are watching on YouTube, we have with us for the first time this season, a live and in-person guest. And that person who's live and in person, that's a lot of persons, is Branson Parlor. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We're, this is exciting. Right? It's yes. so great. This is your third time back with us, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. We've had Branson on, if you guys are longtime listeners of the podcast, we've talked about polyamory and we've mm -hmm. talked about how to talk with the kids about sexuality things. We will link to those in the show notes if you guys want to listen to them, but they're great. I know we, your words have spoken into our marriage in real time. So I'm like, oh no, he's going to be mm -hmm. prophetic and Matt and I are going to learn stuff. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to be good. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on, guys. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but Steve, could you introduce, just give us kind of a more formal intro of who Branson Parlor is? Yeah, definitely. Dr. Branson Parlor That's serves as Director of Theological Education and Professor of Theology at the Foundry, a nonprofit ministry focused on partnering with churches to provide accessible biblical and practical training for church leaders at every level and as associate pastor at fourth reformed church in grand rapids <laughs> yeah branson has a phd from calvin theological seminary and writes and teaches on a variety of topics related to the bible theology ministry and engaging culture including his first book everybody's story six myths about sex and the gospel truth about marriage and singleness he loves spending time with his wife sarah and their six kids Six That's kids, right. half Six. a dozen. That's right. Do people make jokes constantly? Pretty much. <laughs> Do they count the kids wherever you go? Um, sometimes. Like little ducklings? Mostly it's like people like, I can't count that high. That's too, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just a lot. Because when I had 11 sibs, that was the thing. Oh, like, that was... I still have 11 siblings. But when we travel, yes. what is your car? What are you yeah. guys traveling now? Uh, we have the classic Ford E350 10 passenger. <gasps> Which yeah, actually has two rows of bucket seats to keep everyone apart from everyone <laughs> in long trips. Oh, that's so that's smart. nice. Yeah, that's smart. That's nice. My father-in-law calls it the command vehicle, so we're, nice. you know, we're ready to roll. You're doing great. <laughs> yes. Man, so Branson, I'm guessing with six kids that and being a pastor, you have some jokes. Because the question of the week this week that we tossed everybody a couple of weeks ago is, what's one joke? We all have one. Even me, who forgets all jokes uh, that you don't forget. So, as a dad, as a pastor, theologian, what 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 do you got? Yeah, I so I have to go deep into my memory as growing up as a pastor's kid. I don't know why these like Bible jokes, Bible dad jokes. You know, they're just bad. <laughs> they stick with you. But so you know, a joke like when is and I like sports. So when is the first time tennis is mentioned in the Bible? When. I don't know when. When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. 
right? So that's pretty bad, right? <laughs> Somebody said on Facebook, in, right in that same sort of lane, they're like, uh, the professor was talking about all the lineage, and they were like, you know, really of, of Jesus, et cetera. And he's like, it really comes down to your genes, and they have to be Levi's. Oh, boy. Levi, yeah. okay, right, yes, <laughs> right, yeah. Yes. You got any other one? I feel where's like your that, face is that? saying you got another one. Well, I mean, the other one is like similar. You know, when it's the first time baseball is mentioned in the Bible. Oh goodness, something's diamond. It's all sports, oh, of course. Yeah, when God created in the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that, one's, that one's bad. That's bad, isn't that it? Bad. Like it almost the play on words almost doesn't even really work. Right? No. Yeah. So. Steve, I want to hear which audience member, mm -hmm. uh, which joke made you chuckle. Well, I like this one from ISFJ01. What's the difference between a bagpipe and an onion? What is it? No one cries when you cut up a bagpipe. <laughs> <laughs> when I read that one, it took mm -hmm. me a minute. And then I was right. like, oh, because bag bagpipes, people don't like them. Right. <laughs> I like bagpipes. Oh. So do they make you cry? No. <laughs> no. I'd be interested to see what's inside one. Yeah. All right, Craig, well, who stood out to you? Yeah, I really liked um, what Constellation had. My name's Constellation. I'm from New Hampshire, and this is my favorite joke. An elf walks into a bar. The dwarf laughs and walks under it. <laughs> <laughs> because the dwarf is shorter and right. then they walk into yep. a bar. <laughs> yeah. All right, this one someone said, and I've heard it many times from my kids, and I always laugh. My name is Molly from North Carolina, and a joke that I will never forget is this. Why did the scarecrow get promoted? Because he was outstanding in his field. Outstanding yep. in his field. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, thank you, Molly, and have, thank you to everyone. We have um, Make Me Laugh Monday every once in a while on yeah. the afternoon show at WCSG and we hear that maybe every time. <laughs> maybe every time. Uh, I still get, I think it's hilarious. Okay. It's a solid one. Yeah. Guys, thanks so much for responding. You were cracking me up on Facebook and Instagram. If you guys want to be someone who responds to our questions of the week, you got to friend me on Facebook and Instagram, Lori Creek, and then I post those and we pick, we pick from you. Okay, now we're going to shift to the heart of the matter. Branson, you've actually answered this question a couple times previously, but for those who are new listeners, uh, to catch them up on some of your story, and because I just stink and love this question, and it mm -hmm. always edifies me, um, if the gospel is, and new li or old listeners, longtime listeners, this is a new quote, I'm directly quoting Tim Keller now on how we're going to define the gospel for this question. So if the gospel is, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever did believe yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in jesus christ than we ever dared hope how is that gospel first good news for you and how is it today yeah i i think that's a great question and i think for me when i think about that question it kind of leads me to jump right into the deep end of thinking about this really intense time uh, in the life of my family i grew up in the church as i mentioned uh, my dad was a pastor and um when I was in college, um, my dad was unfaithful in marriage, and uh, that led to a lot of difficulty both in our family and our church. Um, you know, for me being the good pastor's kid who kept the rules, and you know, this was our family identity. There was this real sense of uh, we didn't keep the rules, and because of that, in a lot of ways, we were no longer welcome. We were outcast, and mm. for me, it was this 
crisis of faith, you know, this was my church, this is my family, this is kind of what I've been taught all my life. Do I understand who Jesus is? You know, is Jesus going to leave too? Is Jesus going to be unfaithful too? Um, is yeah. Jesus going to reject me too? And that really pushed me back to read the Gospels really for the first time with a, with a totally different lens and see the grace and love of Jesus, particularly for those who weren't insiders, particularly for those who didn't have anything going for them that, that were looked down on by the religious people. And for me, that encounter with Jesus himself, not just the church or not just teaching about Jesus, um, was the gospel hitting home in this very real way. Mm. Uh, for the first time. Wow. Um, and I think it, that continues to be true today. So, yeah, the last couple of years, maybe this is true for others as well, have been a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, but in my life, making a job shift um, was this big leap of faith that was sort of like, I know I can trust God with my head. Um, but that heart trust that comes from stepping into something new and listening to his calling and stepping into that, uh, really for me, has been just this constant reminder of resting in who he is and resting in what he provides um, for us each day. Uh, that it's not, it's not something in the past, it's something that his mercies are new every morning in that way. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, I love how you just said that, resting in who he is and what he provides. Because as you talk in your book about identity, that um, our identity flows from who God is for us, yes. not what we can be for him or what we do for ourselves. And, and can you help us understand why our identity just has to be related to God and who he is for us? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a critical question. And one of the, one of the things that I really try to explore in the book is these kind of questions. What are the wrong answers? These six other myths or stories that are out there that try to get us um, to, I think a place of happiness, fulfillment, connection, so I play a little bit of the kind of wrong answers only game in order to help clarify what the right answer is. And I think it's so important to rest in our identity in him um, for a couple of reasons. First, uh, that's who we are as creatures of God, that our, our fundamental identity is not self-creation. It's not self-invention. And I think that's the burden that many people bear today in our world and our culture as a whole is I have to sort of discover myself, define myself, invent myself, establish myself, um, because nobody else is going to do that for me, Not whether it's God or whether it's something like, you know, tradition or religion or place or all these other things. That, that's a huge burden to carry, mm. to have to invent and define and then sustain that. Um, I, I think it's it's not possible. We are creatures who are made to rest in who God is for us to live from that rest. Doesn't mean we don't do anything. Doesn't mean we're totally passive. Doesn't mean we don't have any say in anything, but it means that our first and most basic identity is as people who receive life from God as creator, receive salvation from God as redeemer. And I think that's just, it's a fundamentally different posture. And I think even many Christians this is my experience growing up, trying to establish ourselves and our identity through sort of a, a different path, but that of behave, you know, behave yourself, legalism, do the right things. If you follow the rules, you're in, you're good, which is kind of a Christian version of this same impulse to define ourselves by ourselves with no reference to God. Mm -hmm. hmm. And as creatures, we also are embodied creatures. Mm. So 
what's the how does the identity that you're talking about relate to our bodies yeah yeah that's a great question i mean i think in what you see in scripture it's so interesting the way that genesis 1 starts with this notion of who we are as god's image bearers and that the language there you know the word that's used for image uh elsewhere is actually used uh for idols Right, that there's a, there's a and so the the idea here is that there's a physicality to it that it's not just I image God as a thinker or I image God in my mind or in my soul or an immaterial part of who I am but whole person including bodies uh, image God and so our identity is uh, in that way very much linked to uh, who we are as embodied creatures uh, and with that I think comes. Uh, the recognition that in some ways our bodies do limit us. Um, they, our bodies are telling us in different ways, I think, every day. Uh, <laughs> well, you, maybe you can't do that. You thought you could, but you, you can't. And there are certain limits that, quite honestly, we, for the most part, don't like. Uh, especially in our world, we're constantly trying to get beyond or exceed those limits because they remind us of our creatureliness. Hmm. And so in some ways paying attention to our bodies is this everyday reminder of uh, who we are as creatures, uh, who we are as people who receive, right? Every single moment you're receiving something from outside your body that sustains your life. That's not just a physical or biological reality. That's a spiritual reality. And so uh, I think that understanding of our bodies and our identities really anchor us uh, in an important way. What I'm hearing you say is being uh, having an identity rooted in God, in Christ, it's vital for us to have it be in him because we're first and foremost receiving creatures. Mm. And even when you said that, I could just feel the room go, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> we don't have to work so hard. Yes. And then being embodied creatures, again, your book being everybody's story, that both reflects like the, the little, the idol, like made in his image, like yes. where he put, whereas false gods put statues of themselves everywhere, God put pictures of himself everywhere, mm. and that's us. And mm. so that both shows the divine reflection that we are, as well as our limited creatureliness, as you put it. Yes. So it's both we're good and we're also limited and that's good because it postures us in that needy posture all the time. Yes. And and that those limits are actually something good to be accepted. Yeah. And and that is actually the way in which we as creatures best image God is by accepting that. It's it's when we try to go beyond that. Um that's again the story I think of Genesis 3 of not just wanting to be the image of God, but wanting to be God, huh. um, where we try to go beyond the limits. Mm -hmm. We grasp after something that actually ends up making us, in a lot of ways, um, less than human, mm -hmm. less than we're called to be as God's image bearers. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that there's people listening um, who are, are hearing you and they're feeling inside of themselves maybe I'm that person who has grasped beyond. Like I've tried to, as Christopher, uh, yeah, Christopher West, I almost said Matthew West. That's a CSG person. <laughs> that is not the theologian person. Uh, but Christopher West, who studied Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body, how he talks about a lot about how we try and suck 
infinity mm. out of the finite. Mm. And so maybe there's people listening and they're like, oh my goodness, I've done that with my body or I'm doing that, I'm doing that with sexuality, I'm doing that in performance or whatever. Mm. And they feel beyond redemption. Mm. So today is about I am redeemed. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how being redeemed, how does that factor into this whole identity conversation? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I just point out redeemed is passive, not active. Hmm. So when I say I am redeemed, again, I'm anchoring myself in terms of who God is for me, who Jesus is for me not who I can be for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and so I think yeah. so I think that's crucial. I also think um, that and I've heard people say it this way, I think this is helpful to, to recognize when we talk about the redemptive work that God is doing um, in each of us, there's a sense in which I can say, I have been redeemed, I am being redeemed, and I will be fully redeemed. And so, oh. you know, if you want the fancy theological words, you've got the language, you know, justification. I'm declared right because of the work of Jesus on my behalf. That redemption is not, it's rooted in him. It's not me. Uh, the work of sanctification, that the spirit is, connects me with Jesus and is growing me day by day. I recognize I still struggle with sin in all kinds of ways. I'm, I'm still, in many ways, grasping at these things and learning through the work of the Spirit and through soaking in His Word, how to let those things go and let His presence fill that. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that I'm patient, hopefully, with myself and others, because there will come a day when there is this full, glorious redemption, and we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, the reality is we are living in this tension that says, I am I have been redeemed, I am being redeemed, I will be fully redeemed. Um, but again, all of that is is the work of God rooted in his work from beginning to end. Can you, for those of us in the back who are a little slow of mind at times, can you just like tie it at an elementary age level? The why does our identity have to be re rooted in this trifold redemption that you're talking about? Why is that vital? Yeah. Because, and this is where I go back to the wrong answers, because if, if it's not rooted in that, it's going to come back to um, something that I'm going to do, which is going to put me into this cycle of either pride, because I'm doing it, shame that I didn't do it mm. well, and, and so I'll be locked in this sense of continuing to orient myself and what I do by myself. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think for me, the key is really to understand it's not just that I'm saved by faith through grace, um, but it's that I'm sanctified by grace through faith. So it's not the Christian life isn't how can I pull myself up by my bootstraps now that Jesus has saved me. It's how can I rest in, in his love and to claim that identity every day so that what I'm doing flows not from the doing for Jesus, but the being with Jesus. So good. That's really at the heart of that. We kind of stated our goal last week for this series being we want to be able to walk into any room confidently because we know who we are. Hmm. And for me, even hearing that, thank you for taking it elementary age for <laughs> me. Uh, that makes me feel like, oh, goodness, just like uh, we can walk into any room because it's about Christ. Yeah. And, and I think practically, so one way I, here's how 
one way that's looked in my life in the last couple of years is, yeah, God said to me, are you anchored in who I am or who you are? Will you walk away from your job as a tenured professor of theology (laughs) at a college to do this new thing I'm calling you into that's going to serve the church? That was, for me, a deep, deep identity dive because I realized how much of my identity is bound up in, I did all this education. Yeah. I have a dissertation. Mm-hmm. I can talk the talk. I, I teach. People think a certain way about you. If you're like, oh, you're a professor. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, okay. Oh, that's awesome. Great. <laughs> uh, right. And him saying, like, will, will you lay that down? And so I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, whatever listeners might be thinking about what that looks like in your own life to say, what are the things that I even as a Christian, even as a professor of theology, link my identity to this thing rather than Jesus. And it's often through those moments that he calls us to say, will you let go of this Mm -hmm. Because and walk into any room confident because you are a child of God? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's I I like that picture because this is a space that as a professor, as someone who has kind of that that status, um, tenured professor no less, like – it's something that that can be an identity of like self-sufficiency. Yes. Um, and so I don't know when yet there was an active movement away from that. So you're, you're a participant, but your participation comes from this rootedness and in, in identity in Christ. And so I don't, to, to take it a different direction, I'm thinking of, you know, a listener who may be struggling with something where maybe they haven't been able to overcome some sort of besetting sin. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. what I deal with in in counseling is like pornography addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, and someone who's like, I just can't overcome. I just can't overcome. And, and how would this, how, how would this redemption story look for someone who is maybe so caught up in trying to, Mm -hmm. to overcome and wanting to be an active participant, but, hasn't been able to make progress. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think when you when you look at Jesus and the people who interact with Jesus, um, when I think about what God's done in my life in the last couple of years, it was for me when I came to a place I was working really hard to make certain things happen, they weren't happening. Um, I was working my own strength to do a number of different things. And when I got to the point of just stopping, so desperate that I realized I had, I didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, I had nothing left. All my best Mm. efforts were nothing. And sat in silence. Um, And so I think there's something about um, desperation that when you look at the people who Jesus interacts with, they're people who have, in most cases, um, come to the end of their own solutions. Um, and, and so I think that doesn't mean it's just going to be as easy as flipping a switch. Boom. That's it. Right? We know that. But I think there is a shift from doing my best to overcome this thing, working as hard as I can, and shifting my focus to instead of looking at me, can I look at Jesus? And can I see who he is? And, and, and so I think about something like 
you know, struggle with pornography, for example, can I uh, uh, really, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, is a detachment from bodies, from my bodies, from the body of others. There's mm-hmm. this sense of detachment and instead to look at the body of Jesus and to realize that God loved me so much that he actually took on a body to embody that love, to show me what that what that is, that again, anchors me in who he is for me um, because ultimately it's going to be the goodness and the love of Jesus that overwhelms. Not, not my hatred of my own sin or hatred of myself. It's the goodness of Jesus that for different people is going to click at different times and in different ways. Um, but that is really, I think, a, a key to walking this path of redemption when I give up, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. That makes me, when you're talking about Jesus, like how pornography is disembodied, but Jesus took on a body. Like I'm just picturing someone, like when I've had to get through my own addictive seasons to whether that's performing or whatever, I, or relationship with my ex-girlfriend, like when I halted that and I thought about, and I stayed with the pain, Like that's the miracle of the cross is Mm. Jesus in embodied form. He could have jumped off. He was on the cross and he stayed. Mm. There's a million more miracles, Mm -hmm. but that's something that speaks to me. And so I'm just picturing someone trying to grit their teeth through even the addictive parts in their brain. Not that Mm -hmm. that's the whole of addiction. Matt's therapy brain is ticking, (laughs) but to suffer with him as you're even getting through in an embodied form as you're stepping away from addiction. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's, it's really interesting because in a lot of ways, it's easier to go the disembodied route than to um, be in your own body and yeah. suffer and the pain yeah. and suffer right. and, and suffer. Matt, you have a thought? Okay, so yeah, my my brain is going, but it's not actually my therapy brain. It's more <laughs> of my personal introspection brain because mm. what I've been noticing in myself for the past months is an urgency to pay off debt, which seems like a very like. Mm smart thing to do mm. yet for me it comes with a sense of like i'm i'm not constantly but very often like if i'm if i'm feeling anxious i'm looking for some means of control mm. and and that with the debt piece is like this constant like going to to check the bank account to check the balance on the debt to see like okay how if i do this or this or this how can i pay it off quicker you know and and it's it's a good thing to pay off debt, but it's also something that detracts from my ability to be present mm-hmm. in my body. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't know, can, can you, can you guys give me some counseling today? <laughs> what, what, do I, what do I do with this? Like, hmm. you know, in the sense of like, okay, I, I want to give that over to God. I, I want to know my redemption in him. And here's this thing that's not in and of itself bad, but it has become, it's seemingly to, to me as I'm introspecting now has become this somewhat idolatrous place mm. of this really urgent, maybe needlessly urgent mm. kind of pressure to, to perform, to get this done. Yeah. That's really rooted in. Yeah. I appreciate the connection there. I think between the control, the sense of like, if I do this, it'll be, it'll be good. And how do you live in the meantime I think is a is a big is a big part of the question. I know this isn't exactly 
I know we're mixing metaphors, <laughs> um, but this is where my mind then goes to thinking through biblically, if my debt of sin is paid, what kind of freedom, what kind of, um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess just sense of I'm not, I'm, whatever I'm doing, it's not to achieve this thing that's out there. It's already been achieved. And so what am I trying to still, it almost goes back to the question of like, what idol am I still serving? What idol am I still performing for? What's the thing that I'm still trying to bring under my control um, versus live from um, what Jesus has done, which is a life of faith, which is a life of trust, which is a letting go of control in a lot of ways. And it's a life of suffering. Yes. Like I just picture you, Matt, instead of checking the bank account, like, like, you know, instead of going to porn, instead of going to whatever, mm-hmm. like thinking about staying in tenured professor land, instead of checking the account to go, God, I'm choosing instead of to check it right now, I'm choosing to sit in the pain of not knowing and put my trust in you. I want to build that muscle inside of me. How would that feel doing that, Matt? <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's suffering. And I think that that is probably the thing that I'm going for as, as a nine, like, okay, being nine on the Enneagram. Uh, Which, if you're into the Enneagram, bully for you. And if you're not, just mean <laughs> yeah. someone who really wants peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really wants mm-hmm. peace and really wants comfort mm-hmm. because peace is comfortable. And, and so I think sitting in that discomfort is, is just difficult, but... I don't know. I feel like I'm taking us off the rails a little bit. No, because I think I think that at least I feel like this is what God continues to teach me is um, oftentimes I'm looking for, well, what am I supposed to do to overcome this? And what am I supposed mm-hmm. to? And oftentimes he's just saying, maybe you're actually supposed to do less. Like what if, what if it's actually the detachment and sitting mm-hmm. with reality mm. and who he is uh, as opposed to sin management techniques, if that makes Mm. sense. Yeah. Learning to sit with contentment in the midst of discomfort. Yeah. You're not derailing us, Matt. This is actually a really good and helpful example of fleshing out exactly Mm -hmm. what you're talking about, Branson. So we Mm -hmm. see you and affirm Mm -hmm. you and thanks for sharing that. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it makes me think um, just going along with what you're saying, uh, you know, the, embodied identity that we're talking about today a lot of times you know chemical addiction is a very easily identifiable way that we detach from the physical experience of pain Mm. you know i um when i was quitting smoking 17 years ago the withdrawal was something i wanted to make go away right Mm. now and the only way to make it go away was to light up you know, mm-hmm. and so again, you're detaching from that, and the challenge was to go through it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's very much in line with mm. what we're talking about. I think Pete Scazzaro calls it, uh, and he may be borrowing this from someone else. Pete, we've interviewed him once, and I've read some of his books. He calls it detach into Jesus. 
So you're detaching from the world, but it's not like a detach and let's just go spend all the money. Yay. It's like detach into resting in Christ, which can feel like I can just like see us all like with the shakes, (laughs) not even if it's not chemical addiction, we're addicted to all of our striving and Mm. other things. Yeah. I mean, uh, Augustine, who I love in his confessions and, and really, I mean, he's addicted to sex, lust, pride, ambition, money. Right, so I, I think if you can, you know, get a if you get a good translation, but read it. There's so much richness there. But ultimately, you know, the way he talks about it is that, you know, it's it's the sweetness of Jesus. It's the mm. goodness of Jesus. It's it's not until he really understands the presence of Jesus with him and just this overwhelming goodness of God. So it's again, it's nothing he does. It's not how can I figure this out. It's it's coming to realize that all of these other things at the end of the day end up as dead ends, even if they're things that are that are good if they're rooted in God, but idols if they're rooted in me. Mm. Uh, and so I just I think that's something that I continue to learn because I'm a I'm a doer, yeah. uh, I'm a fixer, I'm a perfectionist. So I like to do things and get it right. And to hear Jesus say. Um, I love you before, beyond, above, any of those things. Mm. It takes a lot of work. Mm. It, takes a lot, it takes a lot of work to just sit mm. right, and receive that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. So we're talking a lot about identity. We talked about bodies. We're really talking about idolatry. We addressed lust specifically in finances and addictive <laughs> behaviors like smoking. This is really helpful. I think because it's so prevalent in, in my field and it's prevalent in the world today, and you wrote this book, Embodied, for people who are listening who are parents of kids who are wrestling with their gender or people themselves who wrestle with their gender, what does this, I guess, kind of suffering well look like? Mm. What does the redemption aspect look like? Because people, this this can be such a wily area. And I just would like to kind of just tiptoe toward it. And guys, this is not going to be an exhaustive conversation about transgender. We've had several conversations. We'll keep having more. But I'm just curious, how, how do you see, if our identity is rooted in God, how does that factor in with people who are wrestling with gender? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think it comes back to the... To this question of of suffering, mm-hmm. because I think that um, if I can use a ten million dollar theological term and then explain it, I think both Christians and the culture offer people kind of an over realized eschatology, and what I mean by that is an immediate fix, an immediate solution. We can resolve all suffering now. So eschatology looks at the end and says, ultimately, God wipes away every tear, God restores, God renews, and we long and hope for that day. But we know in the meantime, it is, it is a path of suffering. But I think a key myth of our modern world is we can resolve that suffering, we, you know, that there are ways that we can now get rid of all that. And unfortunately, I think a lot of churches... And Christians perpetuate the same notion, mm. you know, that it, well, if you would just pray this way, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any sense of dysphoria or sense that maybe there's not alignment that, you know, just, so I think many Christians and the culture likewise hold out this promise of um, sort of immediate resolution. And again, when I look at the body of Jesus, when I see how God's faithful covenant love is shown in the body of Jesus, it is a suffering body. Um, 
it is a body that goes through cross and resurrection. It doesn't say, here's a quick fix. Uh, in fact, that's kind of the temptation that Satan promises Jesus is just do this and you won't have to walk this path of the cross. You won't have to walk this difficult path. Huh. Um, but but I think I can't say that to somebody who is uh, wrestling with questions of gender identity if I haven't myself asked, how is Jesus calling me to take up my cross? If we just say, well, there's this small community of people who they really need to make sure they're taking up their cross, <laughs> right? And the rest of us are like, wow, you know, go go on your way. We'll be praying for you. Mm. Versus saying, what is, what are we maybe missing that Jesus is calling us into in a deeper way? And, and, and that's where I feel like I've actually learned much about Jesus and the gospel from people who are not turning away from that wrestling and suffering, um, I think there's a lot there that the rest of us could learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you missed our philosophy of uh, Hole in My Heart podcast episode, which was just a few away, I can't remember how much we talked about gender, but our belief system, and I know this is yours too, Branson, which is why he's highlighting suffering, is there are people who really do wrestle with how they feel inside their sexed body. So they're born male or born female. Very, very small percentage of people are born intersex. But inside, when they feel inside their internal world, uh, they feel maybe more feminine, even if they're born male. They maybe feel more masculine, even if they're born female. Now, this is a huge conversation, uh, a great book. I appreciate Preston Sprinkle's book, Our Mutual Friend, mm -hmm. Embodied, if you want to read more about that. But um, what you're saying really reminds me when I started walking with my friend Kat, who identifies as trans, but... Um, she's born female and identifies as trans. And what she means by that is I don't feel very feminine in my body. Uh, she feels maybe more masculine, but she has learned to suffer in that tension. Mm. And when I first was meeting with her, she was going to transition. And um, I just asked the question, and you guys are willing to take this, steal this question, is I said, Kat, I'm just curious if the same God who walks with me in my suffering as I'm surrendering these attractions to the same sex or any of my other issues, I've got, I got several. Um, I said, I'm wondering if the same God who walks with me could also walk with and empower you. I'm just curious. And I mean, you'd save a lot of money. You'd save a lot of <laughs> surgery. Like it's a big thing to transition. Mm -hmm. So we believe God's best is to stay in that tension and I just postured that question. And that was not, she wasn't like, oh, yes, great. I'm going to go follow Jesus with this now. It was, it's been year, it was years of discipleship mm -hmm. before she really uh, came to that space. But I think I appreciate your taking this conversation and really filtering it into that, that specific piece, because that's, that's the tension we're asking others to live in, but we need to be living in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I so appreciate your, the way that you, approach that in terms of curiosity and in terms of, of questions. I think oftentimes Christians think it's first and foremost our job to preach at people Yeah. Uh, when, again, the, the model of Jesus usually preaches at people who he wants to actually reject <laughs> his <laughs> message if you pay attention to that. Huh. But he often asks questions to people who he really wants to follow 
who want to who follow, follow him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the people who want to reject him, the people who want to like, reject him, he's like, here, I'll give you my full sermon. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll I'll give you because yeah, it's like I did my part. I knew you, know, you were going to reject that anyway. But the questions of Jesus when you go through the Gospels, you know, what are you looking for? He he knows how to ask questions, mm-hmm. and I think if we do a better job of asking questions and yeah. allowing room for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does versus I need to preach you a sermon and you need to be mm-hmm. fixed by tomorrow. <laughs> Doesn't work. What? <laughs> In most cases. Shoot. Why do you, Branson, believe that an identity rooted in Christ is vital for people in 2023? Yeah, I think that's, um, when I when I think about that question, uh, I think about the way that the uh, Hebrews 12 ends by talking about uh, things that are shaken and things that cannot be shaken. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there are a lot of things in our world uh, and in our lives individually uh, that have been shaken and that will continue to be shaken. And so to have an identity rooted in Christ is to to hold on to what cannot be shaken and what cannot be lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what we're looking for. I think that's what many people are looking for is what is it that really matters? What is it that really endures? You know, you, I think we realize in a lot of ways the fragility of so many things. And so what is it that lasts and that endures? It's that identity that's, that's rooted in him, that it doesn't matter what life circumstances are. It doesn't matter, uh, like Paul says, whether we're doing well or whether materially we're doing very bad, mm-hmm. uh, I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to not be shaken. And I think that's really critical. That's good. Thank you, Branson. Um, Guys, go snag his book. We got it here. For those of you who are watching, Everybody's Story, Six Myths About Sex and the Gospel Truth About Marriage and Singleness. You can get that wherever your books are sold. Um, And can you talk for a hot second about the foundry, this thing that you started after being this tenured professor? What's that about? Yeah. So our focus really is on uh, training and equipping people at the local church level uh, to say, how do we provide deep, rich, biblical, and practical training uh, for churches, for church networks? And so uh, we do a variety of things. We do training, uh, lay leader training, like for elders and deacons. We do more intensive, kind of a seminary at church model. Uh, and so, again, for me, part of what I saw is the need to make um, deep Bible, theology, ministry training Uh, more accessible Mm -hmm. to people, more affordable, and to say, how can we do that actually in partnership with local churches and local church networks? Uh, And so we do that. We do learning cohorts for veteran pastors. And so we really do try to say, yeah, I I think the church is called to be a community and a culture of learning where that's a big part of what we're continuing to do is continue to learn and grow in what we do. And so really trying to, in a lot of ways, it's discipleship, right? Mm -hmm. This that, that, again, we found people are really hungry for. Uh, wow. People want to go deep. And so we, we're excited because we get to work with churches and individuals who are just ready to dive in. So, yeah, people can check that out uh, online. Where would they at, find it? Yeah. yeah, it's online at thefoundrygr.org. And it's uh, not just in GR in Grand Rapids? It's, you it's go not. Wherever. So our home, our home base is here. Uh, we're housed in Fourth Reformed Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of our model is to go to churches and church networks. So we actually uh, do courses in the Chicagoland area. We just started this past week a hub in Kalamazoo. Uh, And so we're looking, we already do a few things in Grand Rapids, but looking to do even more because we see just a huge need. A lot of people who are engaged at church, involved, 
who love Jesus, but who want to grow. Mm-hmm. And this is really providing a way that, that does it in a way that's more, you know, I come from the academic world. And so I love that world, but, you know, both for time and money, it's not the most accessible. And so mm-hmm. really, I think churches are asking, how do we raise up and how do we equip people maybe in some new pathways and new ways to really ground them in the faith and equip them for um, having these kind of conversations that we're having today? Yeah. Um, because we can't, we can't afford not to learn, not to mm-hmm. grow. We can't afford to not be equipped to know how to engage our culture, to know how to um, dig into scripture. That's awesome. So we yeah. will have the foundrygr.org. We'll have that uh, site on the show notes. And we'll also have in the show notes our question of the week for next time in a couple of weeks. If you've noticed, we've been posting every other week. But the question of the week is, are you a finder or a loser? <laughs> By that, I mean you lose stuff. I am not a finder and I am a loser. I I've have, I think I'm on my like third or fourth pair of iPod our AirPods. So sorry, Matt. <laughs> I'm an expensive wife. Um, it's embarrassing. Uh, I, okay, Steve, are you a finder or a loser? I, I'm, I try to be neither. I, yeah. I'm not a great finder. So I really work hard to not be a loser. <laughs> I, it's just funny to hear everybody yeah, say yeah. it. I end up looking for the things that the other people in my life have lost Okay, and not very successfully. So yeah. what are you, Matt? I don't even know. <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, we got into this last week too. Like, I I am a finder. I am I am the finder of all things. Dad, I lost my boots. Dad, can you find Dad? I I try for like one <sighs> second, and then I'm like, go ask Dad. <laughs> Sorry, I send them to you. What are you, Branson? Uh, with six kids, mostly a finder, not by nature, but by necessity. Of course. Uh, so, but there's also the, you know, I'll give you a quarter if you find your, you know, the lost shoe or whatever. So sometimes wow. just small monetary awards, depending on the age of the children, yeah. they have to gradually grow, but you can recruit others. And that's actually been a nice, nice tool. Oh. I'm stealing that. Thank yes. you for that yes. tool. Rolls of quarters. Here we come. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, as we wrap up here, if you watch this episode uh, and you want to listen, you can find it at lauricreek.com or uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening and want to watch it, if you go to wcsg.org, we, um, we're posting it there. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much to WCSG, our hosts for this beautiful studio. It's our first time with a, a real t- face-to-face guest. And always thank you to Video Guy Zach. We appreciate you <laughs> and your uh, lunch. Why can I never remember the wave name? He's always doing this wave. The royal wave. The royal wave. We appreciate <laughs> You're about to do the London wave. The London wave. Well, All of our friends I mean. in the UK are rolling their eyes. Okay, <laughs> that's it. It better be it. Because for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next time. <laughs>